0: This is week three of the series that we're doing for seven weeks. The series is about work and about rest. We're talking about work and rest, which is something that every single person here can relate to or relate to a struggle with work and rest. Um, Two weeks ago, Jay kicked us off. He said many things. One of the things that he presented was this grid where in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we look at what uh, God's activity was, what man's activity was, And then also, what is the principle of that activity? So in Genesis 1, God is a God who creates, and he actually gives um, humans, Adam and Eve, both male and female, this dominion to rule. In Genesis 2, we have a different account of the creation story, uh, where God is seen first and foremost as resting on the seventh day. That's how uh, Genesis 2 starts. And then he also gives, again, the commission to work. And work here is not a bad term. When we're thinking about work, we're thinking about work, not toil. That was one of the other things. Work is not toil, and rest is not leisure. Work is not toil, and rest is not leisure. And then Genesis 3, things kind of get turned upside down, where Adam and Eve disobey. We as humans disobey God's commands. God curses the land, and then that causes what? It causes toil. Toil. And so uh, during the series, we want to be like, what is the work? What is proper work? What is the mindset of work that we want to have? What is rest and what is true rest? What is his rest? Uh, How do those things conflict in our minds? Are we able to really enter into either of them? Last week, we looked at Joshua and this idea of striving to rest, which almost seems like an oxymoron, like how do you strive to rest? But the point being is that we strive. We do good, meaningful work to enter into God's rest. We don't strive in order to make ourselves more famous. We don't strive in order to prove ourselves. We don't strive for any of those reasons. We work under the dominion of the Lord, and then we also rest in his mercy and grace. So we went through a bunch of considerations, which you can see here that I'm not going to go over. Um, All of these are—thank you, Gene. Did you mean to put a floaty in it? Okay. Thank you. These sermons are uh, uploaded on our website, cornerstonelebanon.com, if you want to go back and catch up with the series. Catch up. Another big point last week was that rest comes through repentance because of the work of the cross. We're thinking about partnership. What does it mean to partner with God in things? But we also don't want to overextend ourselves and just do the things we feel like doing or do things, quote-unquote, for God, that he has not asked us to do. It's really easy to um, uncouple ourselves from God and just go out ahead and do whatever we want without him saying go. It's also easy for us to kind of hang in the background when he's saying, no, Justin, Cornerstone, go. So the idea of work and rest really has to do with God's pace and staying at God's pace. Today, however, we're going to talk about one of my favorite heresies. About three years ago, we reviewed this heresy, And the reason we reviewed this heresy is because it's so prevalent in our day and age now. This is the heresy of Gnosticism, which we will talk about in a minute. Last week we had a lot of general concepts of considerations. This time we're focusing on something very usually near and dear to all of our hearts. How many people here right now have some kind of device or electronic screen on their person? Just raise your hand if you have it. Uh, a good majority of it, a good majority of it. Today is very much so a wisdom kind of a Sunday as we think about work and rest. It's not a commandment where it's like do this, don't do that. It's more of how can we appropriately um, work and rest in the digital age, in this uh, age of technology that over the past 40 years has just blown up, right? And it's not to say that we throw all technology to the side. Like think about Puerto Rico right now. You know how many people would love – to get in contact with the people that are down there that just simply can't. And so technology and our phones and our screens can be this really uh, thing that can connect us and bless us, but there's also this thing with technology and our screens and our phones that distract us, that take us away from the situation that we are in, that um, steal our good work and also steal our rest if we don't walk in wisdom, if we don't walk in wisdom. So, big thought for today is this. Everybody ready? It's a long, long sentence. So you have to you have to be ready for this. Work that is good and meaningful activity without the proper rhythm of rest will devolve into toil. This will lead us into a degenerate form of dominion, because we're supposed to have dominion as God's people. We're supposed to rule. It's a matter of how do we rule. Do we rule to help others and God's creation flourish? Or do we have dominion in order to be self-centered, to be all about us, and to actually exploit others? So if uh, work devolves into toil, this will lead us into a degenerate form of dominion, which will either be lifeless in its fruit, so the things that we do won't actually have any fruit. It will be coerce in its exploitation, so maybe it is actually fruitful to some degree, but it's actually hurting people more than it's helping people. Or it will simply be narcissistic. Really fruitful life, but guess what? It's all about me. And so is that really fruitful? So that's kind of the big uh, thought of the day, but we're going to look at Gnosticism as far as what that means and consider how our devices might play into um, Gnosticism stealing work from us and stealing rest from us in the way that God would design. So with that being said, let's pray. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word towards us. Um, thank you that you are a God that is present. Uh, thank you for uh, showing up and uh, receiving our praise this morning. God, it was good to sing out to you, um, to clap, to use our bodies in worship. Um, to you, you know, to sing out or to even be still and to make a conscious effort uh, effort to be still and to be quiet even during the midst of song. Thank you for the fact that you have created us and you have said that it is good. We long to have wisdom to see the parts that we have twisted and that we have bent uh, to make it not good and then come under your gracious rule and your gracious reign um, in all things, including things that are so uh, tangible and ubiquitous that are all surrounding like our devices and uh, our technology. So lead us and guide us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Man, so let's start with Gnosticism. So we're going to talk about digital Gnosticism, but a review of Gnosticism. Who remembers when we talked about this last time? Okay. Two people. All right. Three people, four people. Okay, good. I was like, should I really talk about this again? It's been three years. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> so quick review. First, Gnosticism, and I'll explain all these words. Gnosticism goes after three things. The cosmology, Christology, and the soteriology. Cosmology: How do we view the world? What is the world all about? How is the creation of the world matter philosophically? Okay, Christology in Christian circles is about Jesus and who Jesus is, but remember, Christ is actually a title, Messiah. So, what are the? Who is the person, or what are the things that um, save us? What is the character of that person, I should say? And then, soteriology is literally what saves us how do we enter into rescue how are we rescued how are we saved how are we delivered and so every philosophy every religion um one way or another kind of goes after these three things and there's a bunch more but this is how gnosticism goes after it first it says that the spirit is good and the flesh is bad this plays into the dualistic thinking That anything that is done in the spirit, that is the real, true goodness of God and everything else. Anything that is this tangible flesh or whatever else, well, that is the real sinful part of all of creation. And for some reason, uh, God uh, created things, but then the devil made things flesh. Okay? Now, there is kind of a little bit of confusing with this, right? Because in the scripture, it does talk about flesh and the desires of the flesh. We're not talking about the flesh in that aspect. We're talking about our actual humanity, right? And we know, if we think about it for a second, that not all spiritual things are good, right? There are evil spirits. There are uh, bent uh, worldviews and mindsets. It's not like just because something is spiritual mean that it's automatically good. Similar fashion, yeah, we know that uh, the flesh that breaks down because of the wages of sin and that there is death in it. But when God created everything... He wasn't like, I'm going to create the sun, moon, and the stars. I'm going to create this and that. That's good. That's good. That's good. And then I'm going to create human beings, and they're going to have flesh. And then he said it was bad. Is that what he says? No. Now, is our flesh susceptible to many temptations and everything else because of being introduced to sin? Absolutely. But if we go back to the origin point, it's not that the spirit is good and that the flesh is bad. It's that everything that God created was good, even very good. And it's this toil that sin has brought upon that we chose that kind of warps things, that bends things, that puts them out of their proper place. Second thing, because of this, well, the Messiah, there's no way the Messiah could be human. So one of the big tenets of Gnosticism is that Jesus didn't come in the flesh. He was just a ghost. That's one of them. One of them is that, oh, well, he did come in the flesh and the spirit of Christ descended on Jesus, the human during his ministry. But then after that, what happened right before he was crucified, the spirit left him. And then it was just this man, Jesus, that was up there on the cross. And so because of the cosmology saying, hey, spirit is good, flesh is bad. Obviously, Jesus couldn't have been human. And so Jesus was this, he appeared human, but he really wasn't human. He didn't suffer. Why would God suffer? Why would God suffer? That is a ridiculous claim. And so the cosmology talks then about the Christology. And then lastly, how we are saved. To the Gnostic, we are saved through what? We are saved through knowledge. And a specific kind of knowledge that, that, that has some kind of secret revelation about this thing down here. That Jesus wasn't human. And has some kind of secret revelation about this up here. That, that it's, the spiritual is always good and the flesh is always bad that's what gnosticism means gnostic uh, gnosis means knowledge and it's not that knowledge is bad it's that knowledge needs to put in its proper place you know it says elsewhere in scripture that my people die for lack of knowledge but knowledge needs to put in its proper place just like faith needs to be put in its proper place and so in gnosticism there's this idea that because i have this special knowledge i'm elite And I'm better than you, and you, and you, and you, because you don't get it. Rather than the revealed will of God through Jesus Christ to save every man and woman on earth. It's the secret thing, this knowledge. So how does this play in the other realm? Everybody get that? I know I'm going quick, but so we got uh, spirit is good, flesh is bad, Jesus wasn't human. And then also salvation through knowledge. So let's take this into the digital realm. Every generation has things that they specifically deal with. Generations, uh, you know, 1800s, 1900s, had different things that they needed to figure out in their culture, in their time, in their place, how to wisely walk in them. I would say that our devices and our screens are one of those places specifically that we need to learn wisdom and not just take whatever the culture is saying, whether that culture is inside the church or outside of the church. Because a lot of times with this stuff, it sounds exactly the same. So digital Gnosticism, a couple points about that. One, it would say that the digital is good, but humanity is bad. So let's be honest about this. I'm going to use myself as an example a lot because uh, preachers um, sin. I don't know if you knew that. Or they don't do the best things all the time. Surprise if you need to sit down for a second and let that absorb. So let's say even this week, there was a time this week where I wanted to check in on somebody. Uh, I gave uh, this person a call, and um, it was just a business kind of a thing, and I could tell that there was something in their voice. And I was just like, okay. And then so I put my phone down, and then the Holy Spirit was like, hey, you should check on that person just in case. And that, so what ended up happening, I started to text that person, because that would have been easier for me to do. Instead of there's something there might be something wrong that I need to talk with this person, I use the digital means in order to kind of separate myself from that person so I could control the situation a little bit more. Because I had stuff to do, you know? I had stuff to do. I had things to get done. So I'm just going to shoot a text. Shooting text and everything is great for certain things. It wasn't okay at this point. And so I start making the text up and then uh, – The Spirit's like, erase that. And so I erased it. I called the person. We had a 10-minute call. I focused on that call rather than it being about trying to do this and do this other thing. And there was something in me that wanted to control that situation because I had a means of controlling it through a different form of communication. But what was actually needed in that place was humanity. It wasn't the filtered humanity of text and emojis, and that stuff's fun. I get it. You can really do some stuff. There's some stuff you can't do or shouldn't do. I needed to hear the voice. I needed to um, interact in a flow, not dent, 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 dent. And so with digital Gnosticism, we are often tempted to make whatever form, digital communication, Facebook, whatever, the form, because we can control it rather than being vulnerable in those places of our humanity. That's the first thing. Second thing, which I just came up with this recently, so this is new for everybody else that heard it, is Siri our savior? Who knows what Siri is? For those of you who do not know what Siri is, Siri is Apple's um, uh, artificial intelligence personal assistant, right? So if I would have thought about this more, I would have thought about things to ask Siri and then played it through the speakers. But basically, I can ask Siri a whole bunch of things at any time when I'm trying to figure things out. And this made me think, as far as, like, the time that I spend with Jesus, the person of Jesus, and the time I spend with my phone. Ah. What do you, I see that you're on your phone there, Tracy. We do this all the time. But it's interesting. So, if you know, when we have our phones, they're usually always with us, right? Siri is always with us. Siri leads us and guides us. Siri has answers to a lot of things. And I constantly go to Siri for things that maybe I should, uh, at times, go to a person for. Or I constantly go to Siri for things that maybe I just need to not go to anybody and just rest and not need to know something Is Siri our savior with digital Gnosticism? Third thing, which plays into Siri, is this idea of information. Whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or or, uh, BookSnap. What are the new ones? BookSnap and InstaFace? Is that what they're called? I'm just kidding. I'm just mashing them up. Um, Tweeter. Tweeter is a new one. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Um, There's so much information that at the drop of a hat that we can have. And that sometimes we don't even want to have. Like, Facebook is not really a community. Uh, most of the time, Facebook is not really a community to exchange thoughts. It's a place where we can just uh, assert our opinion, find somebody else that agrees with our opinion, and say, dun dun dun, this is why this is true. We can thumbs it up and like it and all that stuff. There's not many times where it's just like, I think this way about something, but you know what? I found this article or this video that made me reconsider my thoughts on it, and I offer it to you. Rather, it's usually used as this place where we can get the knowledge that we want, right, the knowledge that we want in order to propagate our own opinion or our own mindset. And so there's all of this knowledge coming in at us. Sometimes we don't even know what to do with it, right? Like, who do I believe or who do I trust? Because I have 27,000 sources that are telling me 14 different things. And how do I figure this out? Don't, probably don't need to pray about it. Of course not. Why would I? Because I have all this information and information is king and knowledge is king. So digital Gnosticism. So these things that, uh, we struggle with, with digital Gnosticism, and there's a ton more, but I don't want to keep going with that, um, so, without from above, the misuse of technology easily pilfers our lives. We remember that term pilfer. The, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that word steal is not like I'm going to go rob a whole bank at once. It's I'm going to take a little bit of this now and a little bit of this later. And it gets pilfered throughout our day, right? So even g- given Justin Boyer Day, you know, I'm on my phone. For, it's it's 30 seconds. I'm on my phone checking this or checking that, and yet if I do that 100,000 times a day, that adds up, right? That's hyperbole, obviously, but that adds up, right? It's just like the same with. Uh, let's think of it in monetary ways. Oh, I'm just going to get a cup of coffee. It's a dollar fifty, but I get a cup of coffee three times a day at a dollar fifty, and then. Uh, at the end of the month, I've, I've spent quite a bit of money. You don't think about it in the moment, and yet it's still pilfering something. It's still pilfering something. And so this um, misuse of technology that easily infiltrates our lives, taking away our God-given humanity, it does this by promising us something more. What is that something more? It's the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the ancient world, to be like God. Why do I need a person or why do I need to pray when I have this screen in my hand that at any moment I can find out what I want to know or I can have myself validated or legitimized by that word? Or if a situation is getting awkward, uh, I can take myself out of it. You know, when Adam and Eve saw the, the tree of what? So there was two trees in the garden, the tree of life and the tree of what? Knowledge, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Huh. Same temptation. And they saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and that it was good for something. Like they could have eaten it and they would have been nourished to some degree and that it would make them like God. And so at that place of Gnosticism back then, of dualism, there was this idea of the difference between faith and trust in the Lord. And the idea of, no, there's this knowledge and the self-sufficiency that I want to have in and of myself, that I don't need to be vulnerable before the Lord that created me. I don't need to be vulnerable before you people because I can go and I can control and I can hide with my laptop, with my phone, with whatever, but we need the wisdom from above. I'm going to show you a commercial, great commercial, really well done. Considering everything that we just talked about, just think about it as you're going through this. It's a funny commercial. It's great. I'm not knocking it, but it's also saying something and conveying some kind of information and some kind of uh, worldview about what's important, even if it's doing it to an unreal extent. You know, Jesus used uh, hyperbole. You know, he used things at times where he, like, overmade his point in order to see how important this point was. I would offer to you that the culture also does that. But it's still making a point. Without wisdom from above, the misuse of technology easily pilfers our lives, taking away our God-given humanity by promising us something more. What is that something more? It's the same temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the ancient world to be like God. At some point, if I actually had time to do this, I would go and see how long it would actually take to do all those things because it, it made it seem like it was one day when obviously it wasn't. He flew to Rome, you know what I mean? But so he's like basically spend, uh, bending space and time in order to do all the things that he wanted to do in his life goals list um, in you know one day. And so it was a great commercial. I think it's funny. It's hilarious. I also wonder what it talks and says about our culture and the way we try to work or toil. And so going back to the big question again or the big statement, work that is good and meaningful activity without the proper rhythm of rest will devolve into toil. There's a lot of work going on there, right? A lot of work. Where's the rhythm of rest in there? What's the rhythm of rest in our lives? Without a rhythm of rest, this will lead us into a degenerate form of dominion. We're supposed to have dominion, but in God's way, not our own way. Which will either be lifeless in its fruit, coerced in its exploitation, or simply narcissistic. I'm not making a judgment on the person up there, but I would say ultimately that commercial was narcissistic, right? And so he got a lot done. He made some cool stuff that will hopefully bless other people, but there was also the mindset that was about him and getting his will done, not necessarily considering others and how his stuff, he, he hijacked a plane, right? Well, I need to go get my life goal done. So I'm going to go and take uh, two, I don't know how many people are on planes, anymore, like 200 people on a plane, and I'm going to cross the ocean instead of going to Akron, Ohio. I think Akron's in Ohio, correct? <laughs> is anybody here from Ohio? Um, is that, is that um, he goes to Rome instead, right? And so he just, he got his thing done, but what about all those other people? Again, funny, da, What is it saying about our culture and about us? So three things I want to offer Uh, Digital Gnosticism pilfers our focus, it pilfers our presence, and it pilfers our margins. By focus, I mean we actually become less productive at work, right? Again, work is not bad. Work is good. But digital Gnosticism can often take uh, the thing that we're supposed to be doing, our focus off of that. And again, it's, it's nickel and diming, right? 30 seconds here, maybe a minute here. And there are times of rest even in the day that people say, like, you know, for every 50 minutes of work you need to take at least a five-minute break to clear your head. Cool. Not, uh, not a 30-second break every 4.5 minutes. And that's kind of the temptation of, always, uh, of a device always being there, right? Uh, from uh, Walter Brueggemann, who is uh, the scholar that uh, we heard from during our Jeremiah series, multitasking is the drive to be more than we are to control more than we do to extend our power and our effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self with full attention given to nothing. We lose our focus if we give over to digital Gnosticism, if we're not wise about how we use. Presence, this should be uh, a pretty obvious one. Um, So like even say here, or it could be face-to-face. I do this all the time, apologies. Sometimes it's okay, other times it's not. When if Kelly's talking to me about something and oh my, my pocket's vibrating, or something, so I'm going oh Kelly's talking with me. I'm doing something else. This is like relational multitasking, where I'm actually remem- I'm removing my presence from Kelly who I'm talking with and trying to do two things at once. So focus has to do with work, but presence has to do with people. And are we giving ourselves over to multiple things? And yeah, and we can have group conversations and that, but is this as important? As talking to somebody face-to-face. Sometimes it is. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that. There are times where I think the fear that I have that's probably irrational and yet rational is that I'm afraid when I uh, have my phone sabbatical once a, once a week that something's going to happen with my dad. And that he's going to be in a car accident or something else and I'm not going to know about it until hours later. And so that there's this fear that kind of wells up inside of me sometimes where like a couple hours, okay, is just like, a, well, am I missing anything? Is something going on? Am I, am I missing? And usually it's fine, but there are those times. And yet humanity has existed without these things strapped to their hands for many, 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 many years. Are there good things about uh, mobile devices? Yes. But we also need to make sure that it's not pilfering our presence with one another and with other people. Because um, digital Gnosticism distracts from the moments that we are in. And one of the things that I I wonder about that I've heard from another Christian thinker was um, in certain religions, when they enter into certain spaces, they actually take off their shoes because they enter into a sacred space. And we even see this biblically, right? When Moses is being talked to through the tree by God, what does God say to Moses? Take off your shoes, you are on holy ground. Seriously, think about it for a second. What if we as cornerstone in an act of cultural renewal and presence, would come into here and we would, uh, I don't know how we would do it, but what if we had an offering plate that, like, Jason Brubaker guarded and we put all of our devices in there for two hours? And we said, for these two hours, this is sacred space, which we would all agree with, but we're not going to have distractions of that. And then Jason could guard it to make sure, you know, that Desiree doesn't pick up another phone and upgrade her phone or anything like that. Or what does it mean for us to come in here and not like turn the screen off, but to actually turn the phone off and put it away because we're entering in a sacred space? How would would we actually feel about doing that? What would it mean for us as a community to do that? Second thing, margins. Rest in silence are swallowed up in an always-on world. Always-on. If this is always-on, Where are those places of sitting down, waiting? Does anybody just wait anymore? Or is it always, oh, I'm waiting, but I'm doing something? And those margins in our lives that are needed to be human and to be fully human, to pray or to not pray, to be in silence, are usually um, nowadays, you know, uh, there's a barrage of words or games or whatever else that, any kind of time we have to be bored, we're like, no, 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 I can't be bored. And yet boredom is such a key um, thing in the Christian life, silence and solitude, especially in the little things every day. Because again, it nickels and dimes us. Sherry, you can make your way up. And so what are our margins? How does digital Gnosticism um, take away from the margins in our lives? And what kind of wisdom do we need in order to walk as fully human, not as half human. You can use one of these mics over here. So um, I, I asked Sherry to read from a book called uh, The Way of the Heart by Henry Nowen. It's, uh, it's part of a Sherry's book club. Uh, every every uh, couple months, Sherry has this book that she really loves, and I read it, and this section really stood out, especially in regards to digital Gnosticism. And the whole premise of it is there's so many words. And this was written basically before the digital age. So this is prior to the digital age. That there's so many words coming at us at all times. And because of all those words, what actually has happened is that words have become meaningless to us. That they don't hold the weight that they should because it's always around. And yet words need to, uh, the importance of words towards one another need to be recaptured.
1: Over the last few decades, we have been inundated by our torrent of words. Wherever we go, we are surrounded by words. Words softly whispered, loudly proclaimed, or angrily screamed. Words spoken, recited, or sung. Words on records, in books, on walls, in the sky. Words in many sounds, many colors, or many forms. Words to be heard, read, seen, or glanced at words which flicker off and on, move slowly, dance, jump, or wiggle. Words, words, words. They form the floor, the walls, and the ceilings of our existence. It has not always been this way. There was a time not too long ago without radios and televisions, stop signs, yield signs, merge signs, bumper stickers, and the ever-present announcements indicating price increases or special sales. There was a time without the advertisements, advertisements which now cover whole cities with words. Recently, I was driving through Los Angeles, and suddenly I had the strange sensation of driving through a huge dictionary. Wherever I looked, there were words trying to take my eyes from the road. They said, use me, take me, buy me, drink me, smell me, touch me, kiss me, sleep with me. In such a world, who can maintain respect for words? All this is to suggest that words, my own included, have lost their creative power. Their limitless multiplication has made us lose confidence in words and caused us to think, more often than not, they are just words. The result of this is that the main function of the word, which is communication, is no longer realized. The word no longer communicates, no longer fosters communication, no longer creates community, and therefore no longer gives life. The word no longer offers trustworthy ground on which people can meet each other and build society.
0: Not all words are created equal, though. Um, And one of the things that we as Christians, um, both in our communication with one another in in words, but also in the word of God and the scriptures, is that we can't have words mean nothing. Like, we simply can't. And so, I mean, there is good news in all of this. I mean, the good news of uh, the kingdom of God against Gnosticism is that, one, God saw that all that he had made— And it was very good, right? So the cosmology thing. The good news is is that everything that God made was very good. So let's put it in its right place and not take it in bent forms. But the stuff that God has given us is actually good to work with. The divine word, Jesus himself, was made flesh and dwelt among us. So this word of God, Jesus, came to us and put on, you know, this flesh. He was born of woman. He suffered, he died. He knows of our weaknesses. He became vulnerable. God became vulnerable in order to be with us, in order for us to be closer to him. And that the other thing that battles against um, this idea of Gnosticism and even digital Gnosticism is that salvation does not come through knowledge. It comes through grace, God's grace, through faith. And so in all of these places where Gnosticism or digital Gnosticism wants to tell one kind of story, God has already been speaking a different and better and truer story to each one of us through these things. Will we hear it? Will we receive it? Or are those just other words? Desiree, Christopher, could you come and take your places? As we head to the communion table today, we are going to be reading the word of God. Hebrews 3 and 4. And I want us to really listen and receive and let the word speak to us. You know, in certain uh, Christian traditions, so in in Protestantism, one of the highlights of each Sunday morning was the sermon, was the spoken message. In Catholicism, the, the highlight was the Eucharist, the communion table. In some Eastern Orthodox places, simply the reading of the word was the high point. Wow, this is God's word to us. Yeah, We don't know what it says some of the time. And yeah, we need to be with it and be with each other in it and interpret and all of that. But this is God's word to his people long ago and now. But do we have that mindset, right? Or is that mindset kind of on the side because we don't appreciate words in general and so then we don't appreciate the word of God. And I don't think those three uh, traditions need to be separated. That as we come to worship and gather and proclaim God, that we can receive his word that is both embodied sacramentally, spiritually at the table as we come and take of his flesh and his blood. We can also receive the word that is spoken to one another on a Sunday morning or from the pulpit. And then we can also just listen to the word of God read and receive from it. But will we believe? Will we come in faith, or are we just trying to get um, our knowledge tank filled? When all we really need is one word and one phrase from the Lord that really touches us and that uh, ushers up in us this uh, response of praise. So we've been talking about striving to rest, striving to get into God's rest, and that's where this... A phrase comes out of Hebrews 3 and 4 about the Hebrews that they were now thinking about leaving the Christian faith and returning back to Judaism and putting off Jesus. But in 3 and 4, what's being said is that Jesus is better than Moses. And I would offer you today, there's something in each of our lives that we think, and we wouldn't say it, but that we think that this thing is better than Jesus. And what the word is saying to us, I would offer to you today is like, no. Jesus is better than whatever thing that is in your life. Yeah, it might have something to it, that other thing that has power or has uh, the ability to bless you or to even help others. But it's also about this first things first. Is our focus on the cross of Christ? Are we being present with his people and with him? And are we allowing margins to receive his word and to be in the silence? So I'll offer those reflections to you, but also forget what I just said and just listen to the word of God. Uh, joy, and Kelly, if you want to come up and get ready. After they are done reading the word, we are going to go right into the time of uh, communion. Communion tables in the back, the noms will be serving. We take, we remember, we dip, we consume this proper consumption and joy and in thanksgiving, remembering that just as... Re- just as uh, the bread in your hand is real, is tangible, that Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us. And that you both have the spiritual and the physical in Jesus Christ being reconciled together. And that reconciliation is going to happen on a cosmic level to come. Right? As we sang this morning, we have overcome. And one day we will be with Christ in, uh, with no veil over our eyes with no uh, separation of flesh and spirit. And we can enter into that in part now, but we also glorify and praise him that there's still more to come because we need more to come. Because as great as now is in Christ, it's also really hard. There's a lot of sorrow. There's a lot of heartbreak. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of sin that we deal with. And yet the fullness of God, reconciling all things in Christ, has started The kingdom has started and we look forward to the day when everything is consummated together.